Good morning. It is good to be here, maybe not up here, but it's good to be here with you. <clears throat> so, the message that I feel like God has been laying on my heart is not a fun one to um, study and prepare for. And I got very little sleep last night, partly in due to the weight of handling a subject like this, and partly in due to drinking too much coffee late in the day trying to study, and then getting up early to finish. So if I fall asleep up here, that's your cue. You can fall asleep too. So the subject that has been on my mind is suffering. And it's kind of almost a taboo subject in circles. We're supposed to be encouraging and just lifting each other up and praying for each other. Um, that is true. Um, suffering is one of the toughest discussions or topics to talk about. And last Sunday we had a panel discussion about helping people that are suffering and hurting. And maybe that's partly why my mind was turning this way. But you know, Jesus didn't leave the church and leave Christians with a lot of answers, except for answers for the tough ones like hurting and suffering in people. Pain and suffering is all around us, and all you have to do is stick around for our prayer time on a Sunday morning, and we're lifting up prayer needs of a lot of physical difficulties that are going on around us. And then there's things that are more sensitive in nature that we don't just blurt out on a Sunday morning, that we are suffering, possibly. Um, suffering comes in many different forms. There's the obvious physical suffering, and in physical suffering, it has a wide variety from um, severe temporary pain um, to long-term disabilities. Um, then there's emotional pain, and that's a whole other array of complexities. Um, examples of emotional suffering could be the loss of a loved one or a deep hurt in your past. Um, can be some emotional suffering. And then there's the hybrid suffering. I named it that. That's where, because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, it's impossible to separate physical from emotional. And hybrid suffering is when it's difficult to find the lines that are blurred between the physical pain and emotional suffering. We are complex people. And there is a thing called suffering. Usually this question stumps theologians and the wise among us. Why do good people suffer? Why is there suffering in the world? That's a big question. And that's partly why I laid awake last night. And before we can even approach that question, we have to, it begs another question to be answered. 
It's impossible to approach the subject of suffering without wrestling with who is God? Is He all-powerful and sovereign? Is He good? Does He really love us? And if those things are true, how can suffering exist? Many times, people of the world manage to leave God out of their thoughts until they're in the froze of suffering. And, and then they penetrate the heavens with this probing question, why, God, did you let this happen to me? Christians are not exempt from suffering. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but Christians are not exempt from suffering. We did not get a free pass. Uh, we'd have to go to a different church to hear about a free pass from suffering as Christians. That's not what my Bible says. So what is the difference between those who do not believe and a Christian in regard to suffering? I think the difference comes down to what I believe about God. What I believe about God. Um, I talked with my children recently about everybody's got a truth vault. And deep in your heart, you've got a truth vault, each one of you. And you be careful what you put in that truth vault. Because truth is something that should never, can never change. It's like a brick. It stays a brick. And, and it's immovable. That's truth. So you be careful what you put in your truth vault because if you put a lie in your truth vault, then the way you live stems out of what you hold as truth. Even if it's not true, then you would live um, in response to that. But that's not the message today. But what you believe about God is in your truth vault. And that's how you will respond when the walls are crashing down around you. And I want to read a verse. I'm not going to read the whole story. So just one verse out of Matthew chapter 7, 25. It's a story about Jesus talks about the um, foundations. One was laid on the rock and the one was laid on the sand. Well, the one didn't have a foundation. So it says, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. And folks, this morning, it's clear to me that that foundational rock is Jesus Christ. And the house or the life that has been consistently laid and built upon that foundation does not have to fall when suffering comes. Now, the other house that was built on the sand, it's, it's devastating. It's destruction. My wife remembered being um, about 12 years old up at UVA when her brother was in the hospital, Chad, after his accident. And this woman, she remembers this woman coming in and just having an absolute meltdown with a social worker or something. And she was crying and yelling and saying, I can't 
handle it. There's things that have to keep going at home and there's nobody to help. And, and my wife was remembering thinking, she said, you know, there's a clear difference here. You know, we have a church and we have faith and we've been supported in our faith through these terrible things that's happened. Um, but there is a difference. And the difference is the foundation of Jesus in our lives. Um, and if you talk to builders, if you would ask Ben Miller to come build you a home, he's going to look for the nicest weather to dig the foundation and pour that foundation. There was um, a season of time a few years back, I can't remember when it was, Kendall and then they were trying to get footers poured and it was so wet that it was weeks and weeks delayed. So the foundation, they like to lay it in fair weather. It's not the best idea for us as humans to wait until the walls of life are falling for us to seek God and try to settle the important things in life. This, these are things that we do on a daily basis. When the sun is shining, we're seeking the Lord. When it's raining, we're seeking the Lord. When we're going through a trial, we're seeking Him really hard. Our faith might feel shaken, but we've got that foundation. I'm pretty sure that house on the rock trembled in that storm. It probably washed, the storm probably washed away some of like shutters and um, um, maybe the deck furniture is gone, but the house itself stayed. Christians are not immune to this, but we have a rock and we don't have to be moved. Um, we as Christians believe that God is all-powerful and sovereign. He is good. He really loves us. And yes, all these things can exist while there is suffering in my life. But no, I do not claim to understand how it all works together, but I trust His heart because I know Him. It comes to a relationship. It's not logical that we have to understand everything, but it's the knowing of Jesus as our foundation and rock. And we've got to settle another issue here. It's almost sidelined, but it's very important. None of these, none of this is very comforting when relating to suffering if somehow life is all about me. Because if God is holy and all-powerful, and if He's kind, and if I believe that, and then I suffer, then all of a sudden it becomes a... Um, Logical gymnastics, you can't quite put it together. Because if it's all about me being happy and having joy and just everything going well, then how can God be loving? Because I could accept, I can accept that God is powerful 
and I'm going through difficult times, that means he's not loving. Or I can believe that God is loving and I'm going through difficult times, that means he just can't fix it because he's not powerful. But to have loving and powerful and me going through hard things demands me look at it that it's not about me. It must not be about me. Um, a quick verse to support this, because I don't want to spend 10 minutes preaching on why it's not about me. You know that. We know this. And yet in the studying, it just kind of dawned on me how important that one point is in this subject. Life is not about me. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says, Or do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know what? We've, we were from the squalor and the pit. We were destined for eternal punishment. And Jesus paid that debt. He pulls us up and brings us into relationship. We're not our own. We belong to him. We belong to him. Now for um, the main section of the passage I want to turn to is a story. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> the story of the blind man that Jesus healed. John chapter 9, 1 through 12. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva and anointed the eyes of the blind man which, oh, with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen him, seeing that he was blind, said, is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how were you, your eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So I went and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. That is not the end of the story, but that's where we're going to stop reading. So here's the scene. The disciples are walking down the road with Jesus. And I have a feeling that the disciples had walked past this blind man before, possibly. And they had these great theological debates. Peter's saying, his parents, you know, because, you know, having a blind baby, that's 
a really big burden. So the parents, I'm sure it was the parents that sinned. And um, John or one of the others may have been saying, you know, but God has foreknowledge. He knew that he'd have a wicked heart. And then that's why he was born blind. Maybe even deter some of his wickedness, you know, because so they had this argument maybe. And, and then they're walking down the road with Jesus and, and they see the man and they light bulb goes, Jesus knows everything. We can settle this. Jesus, who sinned, was it him or his parents? And Jesus um, befuddles both of them and says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Um, So place yourself in the story, if you will. The disciples and the blind man. Two groups. Um, I'd like to look at attitudes for a little bit. Attitudes towards suffering and attitudes in suffering. So the disciples, when they saw him, they immediately had judgment for the, sin, the, the blind man. Um, Jesus himself said, Judge not that you be not judged. You know, it is easy to misunderstand hurting people. Usually we don't know half or a quarter of what really is going on. And pretty soon we could be one of Job's friends trying to fix things. Jesus says, do not judge that you be not judged. I made fun of a bald man one time. Never make that mistake twice. That was a joke. Um... You know, to cast proper judgment on somebody, you have to you have to have God's perspective. And here's a here's a good little measuring stick with judgment. If I don't understand in myself all the reasons for my suffering, how in the world am I going to understand? Somebody else's. And so, slow to cast judgment on somebody else for what they're going through. And lots of empathy. You know, um, it may have been the cultural time to look at this blind man as somebody sinned. That might have been everybody's viewpoint. And to that I say, um, people are like, can be like chickens. If you have a flock of chickens and then you put an injured one in there among it, among them, they will peck it to death because it's different. And humans can humans have that tendency to go with a um, popular viewpoint on somebody. Um, and Paul says if there's anything good or worthy of praise, think about these things. 
and give the benefit of the doubt. You know, Job's friends started out right, but then they started trying to peck him to death with, with their words. We are to feel a huge amount of empathy and love towards our suffering Christian brother or sister. The broken and the whole are both under the same God. And neither fully understand the wise. And who knows, the broken and the whole may switch places tomorrow. And lastly, under attitudes towards those who are suffering, and there's many more if we would open up for discussion, I would be the learned, is to carry them to Jesus. You know, I'm thinking of the four friends that lifted up the paralyzed and carried him to Jesus on the roof, opened it up and let him down. That is... That is challenging. Galatians 6 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. In that case, they bared him and his burdens. Okay, now attitudes in our own suffering. What attitude do we have to have in our own sufferings? As I said before, it's not about me. It is all about Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And to hold on to that truth in the middle of suffering takes a lot of faith. So that's the first one I have, is an attitude of faith in suffering. Romans 8, 28, let me say this first. This verse has been thrown around so many times to um, freely, may I add, given to suffering people who are in the throes of distress and agony, um, that it almost has to go with an apology when I use it. Um, Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. This is true. It is absolutely true and it's a comfort this is why I stayed awake last night trying to wrestle with this it's true but it's hard what if instead of being controlled by our circumstances around us what if instead we were in controlled by a power inside us? The Holy Spirit of God. In suffering, in sadness, in pain, what if instead of being controlled by the circumstances that are slamming against us from all four sides, what if we were instead controlled by an inner power? 
the Holy Spirit of God. 2 Timothy 1.7 Dan, it's on your living room wall. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Take that into suffering. Hold on to that in suffering. That is the foundation. That is what we're talking about. That foundation that the the house stood firm while the storm was raging. That is it. Is it possible to rejoice in the midst of suffering? And why would we? Um, Have you ever hurt yourself really badly? And two seconds later you were saying, thank you, Jesus, somehow this is for your good. I mean, I don't want to call myself a saint. I'm not, but I've, I've done that. Um, you know, something most of y'all don't know is when you don't have hair and you work around construction and a lot of objects and you're doing mechanical things, you really get your head hurt sometimes because not that hair is soft, but hair tells you the sharp corner's coming. Um, so I've had to um, praise the Lord in some difficult circumstances like that before. Um, you know what? It takes faith to do that. Everybody has situations, and if if you're not in one now, you'll probably be on soon. Sorry, that's not very encouraging. But you know what? We have a God who is victorious over all, over every situation of ours, that is our God, and that's why in the moment of pain and suffering, we can say, thank you, Jesus, and help me, Jesus, all in the same breath. So is it possible to rejoice in the midst of suffering? When my dad was dying in UVA hospital, um, I remember that day. We were down in the cafeteria for a brief break, he was very low, and we heard the, um, over the PA system, code blue, um, floor five, room, whatever, and it was my dad's room, and we just kind of dropped everything and started heading up, and my mom was ushered out, they shocked him to bring him back to his very low, unstable level of life until the family could all get there. And we were mostly all there. And when he passed, um, my mom made us all sing. There was a great celebration It's a song about heaven, and it was my dad's favorite. Sorry. Anyway, all the nurses staff knew that Howard Yoder was dying, and there was no prevention of it at this point. It was done, and what was that singing coming from, from that room? What is going on? The world is watching you, Christian. 
How will you respond? Do you have that solid foundation? Are you different from the world? Will you fall apart with the rest? Or will you rest in Jesus? You know, I've seen Christians go through really tragic things and, um, and come out with joy and peace. And these people radiate the gospel because what is the gospel if it only works when the sun's shining? What is hope if it's only hope while everything's going okay? John 16, verse 33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, God's got this trick. God has this neat trick that he uses against Satan, and he's been using it since before time, I think. Every time Satan levies an attack against one of God's kingdom members, Jesus takes that attack and just flips it right back in Satan's face. And the perfect example of that is the, um, the cross. Because look, Satan thought he had him nailed. He did have him nailed. And all of a sudden, Jesus is rising from the dead and just taking back people out of, right out of Satan's kingdom into heaven's kingdom. And that same force is in power for us today that no matter what we go through, all things work together for good to him. Not always for the me. Suffering is this old body. It's not about this. It's about Christ and his kingdom. I know that sometimes with the things we go through, we want to just say, that's not fair. It's just not fair. You know, think about that blind man and what Jesus said. He said, it wasn't his parents or him that sinned. It was that, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now think of this poor man. He was created by God blind and lived blind up until he, this age for one purpose, to bring glory to God. And it wasn't really glorious for him to be blind for all those years. So it wasn't all about him. It was about bringing glory to God. And that's what we're supposed to be about. But sometimes we can say unfair. This is not fair. Um, but you know what? Jesus was very familiar with suffering as well. He knows exactly what you and I are going through. He knows exactly. And our suffering can't really be compared to his. That's something I want to try to remember is what we're going through, what I'm going through can't really be compared to Jesus, what he went through for me. 
That coupled with, it's not about me, it's about his kingdom. Others seeing the power of God in me at work. I want to talk a little bit about healing. Um, it's through Jesus' scars that healing can take place. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of, for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus took our nails and passed the healing down to us. Spiritual healing, emotional healing, and physical healing at times. But Jesus passes the healing to us. He, we deserve the nails, and he sends the healing to us. And I think about the power of his scars. what they represent, the healing power of Jesus' scars. We too have scars. We too have been hurt. But every hurt that we allow Jesus to come and heal, to touch and heal, that scar in our life also has power in other people's lives. I think that's a beautiful truth about the kingdom of God is that we can be used then in healing of others. So Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings of this present time can't be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Let that soak in for a little while. Do we believe that? Can we hold on to that as we go through difficult times? Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. This little song came to my mind this morning. It's, it's a very simple little chorus. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Is he your all in all? That's the main question. Is he your solid foundation? Is he your all in all? Thank you.